If you're out there and you're looking for a concealer for maturing eyes, or you're looking for something that just doesn't dry under the eyes and gives you a more cushioned, hydrated look, then the organic product for you this week is RMS Beauty by Rosemary Swift. It's a really great range of organic, holistic approach products, and the concealer, which is the Uncover Up, is something I've had in my kit for quite a while. It really is almost a coconut oil-based cushion of cover-up and concealer, so it gives you a realistic glowing skin effect, but it does help minimize pigments and it definitely doesn't dry out. So as you're wearing it through the day, it feels like you're continually hydrating and wearing a really sort of stretch-to-fit concealer. And I've found that when I've shown this to clients, they really love it. I mean, you can mix it in with a Living Luminizer, another hero product from that range, so that you get more light reflection. But if you haven't actually had that in your makeup bag or given it a shot, do seek that one out. That's the RMS Beauty Uncover Up Concealer. Makeup Beauty News. This week we've seen the introduction of Milk Makeup into the UK in Cult Beauty. So there's one to watch there if you're looking at the big jumbo pop-up sticks for cream blushes and colour. If you're out there listening and there's something you'd love to ask us, just send us an email to office at houseofglamdolls.com and we'll be sure to include it in the programme. Today I'm going to share with you some tips as a makeup artist on how to effortlessly blend your eyeshadow and get much more of a seamless transition of colours. I think when they've got the students working in the school, the first thing that frustrates them is trying to achieve effortless gradients, whether it's a horizontal gradient or a vertical gradient, trying to transition one shadow into the next without getting any edges or bands. Brushes, of course, makes a big impact in this, but also so does the actual base that you lay down first. There are two types of base you could put onto the eye. Traditionally, we would have used a concealer pot or a heavy coverage foundation. What this would do, it would actually knock out the pigmentation and discoloration and allow you to be ready to apply your eyeshadows straight on with more of a grab. Now, Instagram makeup has changed the industry tremendously in terms of how much impact and colour we want with makeup. So there are a lot of damp bases now flooding into the market which are going to give you more of a dramatic effect and more of a double glam effect when you apply them. They are a little bit more tricky to work with because they are working on a damp base, so they'll be very ready to grab as a magnet to the eyeshadow that comes nearby. So whether you're working on a damp base or whether you're working on a dry base, make sure that the base has given it a little bit of tackiness ready for adhesion. One of the key things once you've got your base on, and you could use just a basic eye foundation or you know eye primer, whichever one you prefer, but the key thing is that sometimes it could be that the eyelid is a little bit oily before you even started. So what I tend to do is dust the eyelid with a very sheer wash of powder. If I notice there's a physical level of oil, like a shiny eyelid before I'm starting, then I would just want to make that oil free and a little bit matter ahead of my lid primer or foundation. Once you've actually got your base on, the next thing you're ready to do is really lay down the colour. And for this you're using a flat brush and more of a tapping or bouncing motion to really push that adhesion in. Now one of the things we do at the school is a lollipop technique and we hold the brush quite vertical and physically just bounce it in vertically. And what this does, it intensifies the colour very quickly so you can see where you are going to have control and it gives you a lot more scope to see what you're doing next. Once you've got the adhesion and the lay down of the colour, the next thing to do is to break down that pigment that's been built and to start transferring it through momentum and movement into blending. Now for this you need a good blending brush. My go-to is Rocky Cassetti S185. I've always 
relied on that brush to do this task. It's really helpful. It's a vegan brush and it's really good at moving the product across the eyelid and giving me no challenges. Definitely when the students have got that, I see an uplift in their skills. So the brush, because it has a small head, is literally going to be spinning into blending in a very controlled manner and not just literally throwing the pigment around the eye and letting everybody lose control. Once the blending is achieved, and this will take time, you have to vertically blend, taking your shading from top to bottom, so north to south, and also west to east, so that you can distribute the pigment and make sure that you have no patches, then you're really ready to get rid of any transition edges further. One of the techniques I do for this is I take a watercolour brush. Now if you've worked with me or met me you know that I'm very dependent on uh, watercolour brushes because they work very sheer. So what this allows us to do is to polish the pigment and not disturb it or break it and break down any of our previous build. So the blurring stage is really to give you that optical illusion so that you can really see no stripes, no bands and you've really travelled whether you're going west to east or north to south with your brush and your blending effortlessly with no stripes or bands. And there you go, four stages to achieving an effortless blend. It will take practice, but number one, base, number two, build, number three, blend, and number four, blur. If you take a look at the show episode notes, I will give you my recommendations for the best brushes for those four steps. And of course, when you're building your base, you could even use your fingers because they have body temperature to really help you distribute the product. Welcome back to Chatterbox. Today I'm joined by a special guest, professional makeup industry expert, Zabia Saleya. Zabia has an Instagram page you should really check out and follow at London Cosmetics Museum. Over to Zabia, I'm going to spend the time asking him some questions about his private collection of makeup and what made him start collecting vintage authentic makeup and all of the things that he's managed to put into that amazing unique collection. So Zabia, tell us about London Cosmetics Museum. London Cosmetics Museum for me really started as a discussion with industry people like yourself and fellow makeup artists and, and makeup enthusiasts as well, where the idea of the history of makeup was getting a little bit lost and was getting watered down. So I, I decided quite randomly to start um, an Instagram page to start sharing some of my archives, some of my research and things that I thought would put a new discussion onto social media that was not just the generic photo of Marilyn Monroe. I started collecting many years ago when I actually discovered a, an old Vaseline tin, very simple item that to me was just sparked my curiosity. I saw an iconic item like Vaseline which we've all seen, we've all had and we've all used, but I saw it in packaging that I didn't recognise. This was in a sort of small boot sale in London, very cheap, I think I paid for maybe a pound for it, and it just sort of sparked a series of ideas and curiosity into dis discovering actually what was the original packaging for Pons, what was the original packaging for Max Factor um, and where could I spot it along the timeline. So through my travels across Europe and the world I went to every boot sale, every antique fair and started picking up items wherever and wherever I could. Having been privileged to see the collection there are so many amazing things that you have collected over the time what would you say is your most treasured item for those listening? Well I think it's quite hard, it's almost like picking children, I know that's an obvious answer but I, the, the, the items that interest me the most and my sort of most treasured item would definitely be well one of, one of them is a cosmetic stone which I know you've seen David it's um, from the 1920s to the 19, uh, late 1920s early 1930s 
when eyelash beading was a big trend and it's a small little kind of almost looks like a little camping stove but it's branded as a Lockwood's cosmetic stove and um, you would light it you'd melt your eyelash wax in it and then you would pour that onto each individual eyelash to create a beaded effect I'd say that's one of the most treasured items. As a professional makeup artist we're so fascinated with decades gone past and also with the relevance of vintage beauty in an Instagram generation, Xavier, what would you say is something that carries that sort of baton forward? How is there a relevance for vintage makeup and old Hollywood now with the Insta generation? I think it's extremely relevant for this generation to kind of look back before they can look forward. It gives them a greater scope and it gives them a pocket of wealth that they can dip into and sometimes discover certain icons that they would never have known and maybe their contemporaries don't even know. I think it's quite interesting that now that when you, people are asked about vintage makeup, they're just looking at the 1990s, which was my teenage years, and for other people, it's only a short while away. Um, ironically, a lot of people are also thinking that, that when you ask about 1920s, that's in two years' time for this generation. Now, when we're looking at makeup looks across Instagram, most of those things could be traced back and attributed to historical glamour looks. How do you feel that the looks you see currently could be influential based on iconic heroines of the past? I think that the looks that we're seeing now that are being photocopied essentially by Instagrammers have definitely been influenced by the music industry, for instance, let's say Rita Ora with her blonde hair, red lips, dark eyebrows, which if we go back a little bit, we see that in, for instance, Gwen Stefani. We go back a little bit further, we see that in Marilyn Monroe. Um, you know, so that, you know, those kind of iconic looks get passed down through the generations get updated with modern textures and modern ideas, but essentially they're always going to be the same. The red lip is synonymous with Hollywood red carpet and glamour. It has been iconic through all of the great heroines of film and glamour through all decades. What in your collection do you feel is a great item that really sort of like glamorises the colour red? In my collection there are two items that I think really sum up the power of red. The first one is a 1930s red lipstick by Max Factor. The packaging itself is quite architectural, tying in with the architecture of the, of the time, those kind of very art deco, skyscraper style buildings. Itself, it doesn't actually have a lid that you remove, it slides open, which is a quite interesting component. But the red itself is quite interesting because it's almost a bricky red, it's what you'd consider almost a neutral red, so it's showing that kind of the 1930s you were starting to move into an era where things were softening down, where the 1920s had been so, so strong. The second item is a black and white photography, makeup, uh, photography kit for makeup that I find quite interesting. Once again, red is signifying the power of Hollywood, the power of colour, the power of photography. Xavier's collection is a really unique collection of artefact items that he's really sourced all over the place. I mean, at House of Glamdolls, we've been lucky enough to do some pop-ups with Xavier, bring them in to show the students and ignite their passion for Hollywood makeup. If you're looking for this type of thing, Instagram is a great portal into his world, and Xavier can really share with you the idea about having an artifact bespoke collection over a physical museum. My Instagram page is at London Cosmetics Museum, and you can find me on Facebook, but I tend to be more active on Instagram. Uh, I find that it's, uh, instead of having a physical location, which I'm sure at some point it would be lovely to have, and I think the industry would benefit greatly from having a, a makeup museum, but I think I can be more responsive. So if a school, for instance, wants to study a particular topic, I've been known to sort of loan out items or do mini pop-ups like I have with House of Glam Dolls. Um, I've even lent out to the Louise Young Timeless Beauty book. There's another book called The Quintessential Guide to Male Grooming, which I lent out a lot of my male grooming pieces to. 
Um, and it just allows me, you know, the flexibility to do that. Xavier, tell us some about the more curious items in your collection. I know you have some amazing things in there. What would you say are some of the more unusual, the weirdest items? One of the strangest items I, I found um, was actually a purple eyebrow crayon pencil from just before the 1920s. It was, the component was manufactured in 1914 and run until about 1922. Um, and it was from France, which to me was quite an interesting find to discover that someone was running around Paris with purple eyebrows in a time when makeup wasn't very heavy. You know, we were, in the 1920s we got quite heavy and Paris was quite liberal. But I thought purple was quite an interesting find. Amazing. So purple eyebrows, that would be quite unusual conventionally now when we think of more mushroom and taupey tones. I mean, have you ever used that in a contemporary makeup shoot, that idea of the purple and then continuing that into the brow in something you're working on now? Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is discovering these little products that then open up, open you up to thinking about a new idea. So I decided to try and put a little bit of purple through the eyebrow. So I thought, OK, let's see how this works. Cutting it down with a little ash pencil and using a little bit of purple powder and I found that on hazel eyes it really actually makes them pop very very subtly used you know after all we're using khaki from the Sufi eyebrow pencils so why not let's try something different with a little bit of light purple. Siabia with experience as a makeup artist tell us something that you know in your career you wish you'd probably known a little bit earlier on you wish somebody had handed down a nugget of information and a real sort of like makeup artist secret that you feel has been so valuable for you going forward? I think the old adage, fake it till you make it, is absolute rubbish. I wish that someone hadn't told me that when I was younger. Not that I particularly stuck to it, but I think people shouldn't be teaching people that. I think knowledge is power and people should actually stick to that. I also think that it's very important to be educated, be early, and set etiquette is absolutely paramount. With such a vast collection of makeup, which is authentically based there must be so many items that are sort of traditionally men's grooming items tell us something about the items in your collection that are male dominated items that you would use for you know working with actors on set I think some of the items that I find that have been really helpful in terms of men's grooming and a great understanding of men's grooming vary from I've got moustache tongs from the early 1920s when moustaches and beard work was very important right through to the 1970s I've got a Mary Quant um, men's makeup box which was a very very short-lived item from 1978 almost a bit too early for its time um, I think it's quite interesting item to kind of sign point that the revolution in makeup was just around the corner but the makeup the, the actual item itself was never mass-produced. Sabia tell us something that we might have in a makeup bag that's actually really old and has been around for years it has to be Vaseline. I mean, yes, we know it as a lip balm, but it was used in the 1930s as a gloss for the cinematic siren's eyelids. Um, it was created in the 1870s, early 1870s. So since then, I think everyone has found a multitude of uses for it. But once again, it remains the ultimate icon. House of Glamdolls is an international makeup school, and we're lucky to have students all around the world. We've had students come to London and travelled in for their education, all the way from North America, America, South America, Japan, Thailand, Philippines, Brazil, the Middle East, all around the world and even Australia. Thank you to everybody internationally that takes their time, effort and also the high expense that we appreciate that it does cost to come to London to actually attend our studio. Thank you. Without everyone out there, there really wouldn't be a house of glamdors and we wouldn't have the platform to share our education.
As a makeup artist, I've always really enjoyed the idea of being able to mix everything. So it makes no you know, difference to me whether I'm starting with a Clinique foundation or an Amani foundation, Charlotte Tilbury foundation. I'm definitely going to be getting into that and making something unique each time I work. So I created some products which were called Fixology and Mixology. And they really give me an opportunity to transform the foundations I'm working with. Mixology adds sodium hyaluronate, which is hyaluronic acid, as you know, it increases the moisture content and magnifies the amount of hydration. So if you add the mixology into your foundation, it creates more of a stretching of the foundation and more hydration, more buoyancy, and it can definitely change the chemistry of the foundation into a sheerer finish by a ratio of moisture to pigment. The Fixology is a product which is really great if you're going into humidity or heat, which professional makeup artists often encounter in studios or on stage, and it allows you to pre-mix the Fixology into your foundation, and then you'll actually see physically the chemistry of that changing. It will almost coagulate, but work through that as it settles into the chemistry, and it transforms it to a matte and a fixing potion. And what happens there is it's really good for like, Maybe you're struggling to get your concealer to stay on, or under eye concealer keeps creasing on you, or the foundation on your nose just slips and doesn't stay in place, or you're getting creasing around the nose and the mouth. Fixology Matte, just a dot of that mixed into your foundation, really gives you extra durability. So if this is something that's interesting to you, the idea of mixing, bespoking, and obviously if you're working bridal, this would be great, then if that's appealing to you, we do have a one-day course at the school which you could explore this more with skin effects and definitely look out for that on the website at houseofglamdoors.com and explore those options to see if you can get more confident with the idea of DIY makeup, making your own blusher, making your own lip shades and creating foundations from scratch. It's no secret that I'm a fan of Korean skincare. Most of the skincare that is in my kit comes from either Korean origin or Japanese and also French, but there are many, many great skincare brands out there now. One of my favourite Korean brands is Dr. Jart. Dr. Jart has an amazing range of products which really offer transformative textures to give us solutions as makeup artists. Very fair complexions can often be troubled with irregularities and redness, and this is definitely something with my students that come through this school that concerns them. So one of the products I use is a product called Psychopair by Dr. Jart in Recover, what it is, is a transformative product that starts out its life as a green cream and then neutralises to create a beige corrective tone. This would be brilliant if you're using it under a foundation or just alone if you're doing men's grooming or male makeup. It covers blemishes on very, very pale skin and gives you an SPF 30. It's part of the Tiger Grass colour correcting range, so look out for those in there's a cream and also a serum. Amazing solutions for redness. When we think of Beauty Blender, the brand, we think of the pink bouncing sponge. But essentially they have another great tool which I've discovered for the students, which is the Line Designer. If you haven't used this, it's essentially just a see-through transparent or pink plastic um, rubberized plectrum. And it helps you really create a guideline for when you're elevating the eyeshadow. Now we all see on the computer and Instagram that most people are using sort of sticky tapes, micropore tape, even masking tape and electrical tape. All of those tapes are quite damaging and brutal to the delicate skin under the eyes. So if you're trying to create symmetry and you're looking to get a really good elevated wing shape but you don't want to use tape and you don't want a very harsh, severe stencil line, then the Line Designer by Beauty Blender 
is a really great little way to give you that extra bit of confidence, even as a pro if you're under the pressures of working with symmetry on demand and under time restrictions, a gadget or a tool can really save you endless time. Every week we'll have a section called Easel, where I share with you one of the artists that inspires me. This week it's Camille Rose Garcia, based in Los Angeles. I love the work that she does, it's a very haunted, dark fairy tale type of impression, and she illustrates and paints amazingly. I've been collecting her work for a long time, looking through the illustrations and books, and we even have some of her prints in the studio, and they're definitely something that gravitate for the students to inspire their makeups, and I think it's definitely the palette that she uses alongside her kind of graphic dripping techniques and her desaturated and saturated acidic colour palette. If you're not familiar with her work, I would definitely encourage you to take a look at some of her amazing paintings. For makeup artists, I think there's always a pressure to be creative. Often when you're in the studio, the photographer or the art director will come over and say, I want something creative, and you'll think, oh, I can't think of anything. So essentially, when you're working with creativity, it's really about an expression of who you are. And it really is digging deep into your sort of imagination as an artist. I think for me personally as a makeup artist, it's always been a case of knowing my narrative, trying to work out what it is I'm saying with makeup on this occasion, and making sure that I'm true to that and not confusing that message. It's really important that you learn to declutter your makeup designs, that you don't over-egg everything with so many ideas that we can't really tell what the narrative is, and we can't tell really what you're trying to express. It's so confused with the panic and confusion of colour, textures and ideas. Simplify, simplify, simplify. Everything that you do, if you simplify it, you'll get a much clearer communication process. Everyone will see exactly your intention and you know your narrative. Please be sure to subscribe to ensure that you keep in touch with our Sunday episodes of Chatterbox. So that's everything for this week. Thank you for joining us and listening, and we look forward to having you back with us next episode. See you soon, House of Glumdolls students and everybody out there, for another episode of Chatterbox next week. Thank you.